If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open to Luke chapter 2. This is a classic passage on the birth of Jesus, and we've been going through a series of topics throughout this Advent season. We've looked at the hope that we have in Jesus. We've looked at the peace that we have in Jesus and the love that that God gives to us. And today we're going to look at joy, the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I want to read from Luke chapter 2 and share a few thoughts with you on this passage. And I'm going to read out of a translation. We, We usually use the ESV translation here on Sundays. I'm going to read it out of a newer translation, the CSB, because here's my thought and here's my hope. My thought is that for many of us, this passage has become so familiar. I mean, you've heard Linus read it every year at some point, and uh, you've gotten used to the words. But my hope and my prayer is that God would, would allow these words to just become alive in our hearts and our minds in a brand new way today. So I'm going to read this passage. We're going to pray. I'm going to share with you a few thoughts on Christ's joy today. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, that's King David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region... Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great, what's the word, Sound City? Joy. That will be for all the people. Today, In the city of David, a savior was born who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this story of the birth of Jesus, that though it took place so many years ago, 2,000 years ago, God, it is still as fresh and as relevant and important to us today as it was back then. 
God, I ask for all of us that you would give us hearts that are open and receptive to receive truth from your word. God, for for myself, I pray that you would help me to communicate that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, specifically, I want to just pray for anyone who is here today that feels like joy is something for other people and not for them. God, for those who it's been a long time since they've felt joyful or joy seems like some sort of a, a, a pipe dream or a, 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 just a far off distant hope. God, I ask and I pray today that we would not just know your joy intellectually, but we would experience it in our hearts and in our minds today as we open the scriptures, as we pray, as we sing, and as we celebrate Jesus. In whose good name we pray, amen. This Christmas season is an exciting season, is it not? Let me, let me ask the kids. We got some kids in here with us. How many of you kids, you get to make noise in church. You ready for this? How many of you kids are excited for Christmas tomorrow? Yeah, good. All right. My kids have been asking me for weeks, when is Christmas? And I just keep saying, tomorrow. And my wife yells at me. I was like, no, it's, it's not. It's coming up. Well, I get to actually say it today. Christmas is tomorrow. And there's a lot of buildup. There's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of excitement. Christmas morning, it's coming. I hope you parents have your shopping done. How many of you parents are excited for Christmas tomorrow morning? Anybody? All right, good. It was less joyful and exuberant than the children. Here's the thing. We, we have this season of buildup, this season of excitement and anticipation. And there really is a question, will the payoff be worth it? Is all this buildup really worth it? Or are we going to wake up on Christmas morning and have... Some joy, <laughs> some excitement. As a, as a pastor, I, I get to interact with people in, in different seasons of life. I think of uh, weddings that I get to do. And you know, these, these brides and grooms, and, and they're very excited for their wedding day. And there's maybe months or years of engagement and they've got the photographer and they've got the band and they've got the venue and the dress. And then the wedding day comes and every once in a while you hear a bride say, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a good day. I needed a nap. It was tiring, but it was a good day. Does the joy really live up to the expectation? I've seen a lot of uh, uh, hubbub on Facebook the last few weeks because there has been two years of buildup to the newest, most recent Star Wars movie. And I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, but suffice to say, there are people on the internet right now fighting about whether or not the movie was good. And uh, I think some people had their expectations a little bit too high. Two years of, are we going to find out who so-and-so's parents are? I I don't know. People are losing sleep at night, right? Is Christmas going to be just another one of those things where you have all this excitement, all this anticipation, all this buildup, and then, yeah, joy, maybe. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever had a Christmas morning like that? All this buildup, all this excitement, and then some of you kids, you open the box like, that wasn't the present I was wanting. Some of you parents, like, that's not the reaction to the present I was wanting, right? Here's the thing. God promises us great joy because of the birth of his son. When we talk about buildup and excitement and anticipation, think about these shepherds. See, they're in the field. They're, they're watching over their flocks. They have to work on Christmas. That's, not, that's rude. Uh, that's... That was a bad joke. I'm sorry for that. But these shepherds, right, they, they had anticipation and excitement and buildup that wasn't for a month. It wasn't for a year. It wasn't for two years. It was for centuries. 
See, these shepherds were, were Jewish shepherds. They're part of the people of Israel. And if you read the story of the Hebrew scriptures, what we sometimes call the Old Testament, the story starts with God creating the world and it's a good and a beautiful thing. He creates the world out of his love and, and kindness and he creates mankind, male and female, to rule and, and govern over his creation. But the problem is that, that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they chose to live life on their own terms. They said, God, we know that you're in charge, but we want to be in charge. And they plunged the world into devastation and darkness right from the earliest pages of the story of the Bible. But God promised that one day a rescuer would come, a redeemer would come, a savior. Oh, that was one of our words that the angels use. A savior would come. And so we, we see that God makes his promise to a man named Abraham. God says, Abraham, I'm going to use your family, your descendants to be a blessing to all other nations on planet earth. And this family grows and multiplies and it's the nation of Israel. But you know what happens? They get enslaved in Egypt and they're groaning and they're crying out. And God says, I'm going to send a rescuer, a redeemer, a savior. And this guy named Moses shows up. You've all seen the Ten Commandments, right? With Charles and Heston. And you see what happens. He leads the people out and they think, finally, freedom. And, and this guy, Moses, he's the rescuer. He's the one that God promised. Only problem is Moses lost his temper pretty bad. And God actually said, no, you're not allowed to go into the promised land. Moses isn't the rescuer and redeemer. You think he's there. Oh, no, it's not him. Well, then they do enter the promised land, but they're led by these people, the judges. If you guys were around earlier this year when we studied the book of Judges, you'll remember there weren't many good leaders to be found during that time. But finally, oh, there's a king. No, not that King Saul. That was a bad trial run. We got a king, a king named David. David, the king, who's from Bethlehem, the city of David. And he's not only good looking, but he defeats giants, and he writes poetry. Like, how amazing is that? Oh, and most importantly, he's got a heart that follows after God. David must be the king. He must be the rescuer. He must be the Oh, what? He stole a guy's wife? He killed the husband? That led the, the, the nation into civil war? Oh, that's, that's not the rescuer we were hoping for. But the city, the city of David, the angel says. The people, after... The nation splits. They still worship false gods and there's more sin and more folly and more rebellion. And eventually they're removed from the promised land. They go into exile. They, they lost their home and they're crying out, God, we want to go home. We want your rescuer to come. And the prophets, guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and these others, they start speaking about this anointed one, this king who's gonna come and who's gonna restore Israel and restore everything. How long, Lord? How long? And eventually they get to go back home. You can read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They get to go back home and all this buildup and excitement, anticipation. They go home and they rebuild the city walls and they build the temple and they look at it. And it's kind of like that letdown, that feeling of, no, this, this isn't as good as we hoped it would be. It actually says that some of the older men wept because they remembered how beautiful the temple used to be. And this new rebuild project just wasn't that good. So here you have hundreds and hundreds of years of buildup, a rescuer, a redeemer, a savior, the city of David. And all of a sudden there, these shepherds are working the graveyard shift at their job and angels show up and start dropping all of these words. It's like, it's like you when you first get the, the Christmas decorations out on the day after Thanksgiving. Amen. Okay. You get those Christmas decorations out. Oh, it starts to build up that excitement in your heart. 
For you Star Wars nerds, your first time you see that new trailer and the yellow scrolling titles going by, it's here. It's like that times a million. These shepherds, it's here. The night's here. It's finally arrived. And God is promising us great joy. Not just joy, great joy. It shouldn't surprise us that God announces that the good news is one of joy. Because how many of you agree Our God is a God of joy. Can I get an amen from anybody on that this morning? God is a God of joy. Psalm 16 tells us that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus, during his ministry, he he said, I came to show you what God is like. And I've, I've told you these things. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be... Full, complete, yeah. Not just a little bit of joy, all the joy. All the joy that you could ever hope for. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says that joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that. Because far too many people in our culture view God as some sort of a cosmic killjoy. That God is the kind of God who just puts a bunch of rules and restrictions in place to keep you from having joy. No, God is deeply concerned with your joy. He is deeply concerned that you have joy because God in and of himself has joy. Our problem is that we trade out what is true joy for temporary fleeting joy, a joy that doesn't last. We think we know what will make us joyful, but God alone knows what will make us joyful. So I'm going to look at this theme of joy in this story, and I want to share with you briefly just a few thoughts, five, five thoughts, five ways that we miss out on God's joy. And so I want to invite you as we, as we look at this, I know, I, I know I'm framing it kind of negatively, right? Missing out on God's joy. But I just want to invite you to reflect and to look in your own life and look in your own heart. Is there joy that God has for me that I'm missing out on because of my focus or my attention being misdirected. So let me share with you this. The first way is this. The first way we miss out on God's joy is we simply ignore Jesus. <laughs> we simply ignore Jesus. You guys know that it's a busy season, right? How many of you have had holiday Christmas parties and shopping to do and cleaning to do and meals to prep for? And, you know, the band has had extra rehearsals. And I took Delaney, uh, one of my daughters, to, I made the, one of the worst decisions in my life. I went to Fred Meyer yesterday on the Saturday before Christmas. It was a foolish life decision. I repent. I will never, I, 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 not, I don't ever want to do it again. I'll probably do it again. It was a bad life decision. We got in there and it was like, it was like a mosh pit had broken out in Fred Meyer. I mean, just rubbing up against everyone. They had lines. I kid you not. I, I started counting. It was 50 to 60 people long, these lines all the way down the grocery store. And they had workers there saying, okay, lane seven, go. And they run over. Okay, lane four, go. And they run. And I'm just, we're moshing around in the produce section. And I grabbed my daughter, Delaney, and I put my arm around her. I said, just look at all of this, Delaney. It's all for Jesus. <laughs> and she laughed. And the people who were standing next to me laughed. And I laughed because I was pretty proud of my joke. And uh, it, was, it was a good moment of laughter. But just the craziness that's going on, as, as busy as we get, and as crazy as we get, and as silly as it sounds, during Christmas, during the, the time of year that we celebrate the advent, the arrival, the birth of Jesus, we could miss out on Jesus. I'm looking at this story, and I'm thinking of these shepherds. The angels show up, and they say, hey, it's born to you this day in the city of David, the Savior, Christ, who is the Lord. 
And I'm imagining in my mind, the shepherd's going, hey, thank you for that. We're going to get right on that. But first we got to finish some sheep related things. You know, Bessie just gave birth and we got we to gotta deal with that. It's a, it's a growing business. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of attention. We got some emails to return. You know, we got, we got a conference actually, you know, Jethro has a conference he's got to go to here and it's a sheep related conference. And actually uh, this, this guy's getting, you know, he's, he's getting married. Just a lot of busyness going on. So angels, thank you for this message. We'll get to Jesus real soon. We promise. No, what does it say? It says, Let's go straight to Bethlehem. See what's happened. They hurried off. Some translations say they ran. They knew the importance of Jesus. How about us? In all of the busyness. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I got to remember Jesus. I've just got, I got to get my inbox cleared out first. Yeah, I'll get to Jesus soon. I just got to get these decorations set up. Oh, I'll get to Jesus soon. I just have to go to church real quick. Can church be a distraction from Jesus? Can, can, can we be so focused on the, the, the details that we miss out on the point? Some of you, maybe you're younger. You think, oh, I need to pay attention to that message of Jesus, but I'm young and I've got time. I'll, I'll, I'll look into Jesus later when I'm older. I want to I wanna experience life right now. Friends, there is no time like the present to respond to Jesus. Jesus, when he was preaching in his earthly ministry, he said things like, if anyone has ears to hear, let him Listen. Pay attention to what you hear. Jesus said, today is the day that you respond to me. So friends, don't put off Jesus until tomorrow. We can miss out on joy by missing out on the source of joy, who is Jesus. The second way that we miss out on joy is more specific. Not only do we ignore Jesus, but we can miss out on his grace. We can miss out on his grace. here's, Here's what the angel said. Don't be afraid. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a what was born for you? A savior. Here's the thing about a savior. You only need a savior if you need to be saved from something. They're like, wow, Aaron, you have been off preaching elsewhere for a while. That's deep thoughts. Yes, I know. You only need a savior if you need to be saved from something. See, see part of the the good news of Christmas that a savior has come, it only makes sense if we understand the bad news. See, it's not just Adam and Eve who sinned. It's that their sin opened up the floodgates and every single human being has been born with this inherent flaw. There's a, there's a bug in the programming. Every single one of us turns to the same kind of selfishness, self-focus, what the Bible calls sin. And if you don't believe me, I would like to invite you to serve in our nursery for a few weeks and you'll see what I'm talking about. Kids, I love you. I really love you, kids. But I have never had to sit down and teach my children to grab a toy away from their sister and say, mine, they all figured that one out on their own. It's just part of our our brokenness. And there's no one that escapes it. Oh, sure, maybe you're not as selfish as someone else, but are you as selfless and loving and perfect as Christ Jesus? That's God's standard. Perfect love, perfect selflessness. To be saved means you have to admit that you're stuck and you're wrong and you're lost and you're in a situation that's of your own strength. It's hopeless. 
We, we like this word savior. It's a happy, nice sounding word. But when you really think about it, we don't like it because how many of you like to admit that you're wrong? Oh, I just love admitting that I'm wrong. I get in fights with my wife all the time and I'm like, yep, you were right. I was wrong. Let me take the back, you know, right? Maybe in, maybe in your marriage, maybe you're better than me. We don't like to admit that we're wrong, but we need to admit that we're wrong and we miss out on joy by not repenting of sin and receiving God's grace. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he says this, he says, it is quite true that the spirit of God produces sorrow for one of his first effects upon the soul is holy grief. He enlightens us as to our lost condition, convincing us of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. And the first result upon our heart is astonishment and lamentation. It's hard. Anybody ever had that experience where God just shows you kind of how messed up your heart is? Anybody ever had that experience? Show of hands. Yeah. Oh, even when we look to Christ by the work of the spirit, one of the first fruits is sorrow. But this sorrow is not the ultimate object of the spirit's work. It is a means to an end. Even as the travail of the mother leads up to the joy of birth, so do the pangs of repentance lead up to the joy of pardon and acceptance. Friends, there are churches, I am not trying to throw rocks here, but there are churches that avoid, like the plague, words like sin, judgment, repentance. Why? Because they make us feel uncomfortable. Right? Like C.S. Lewis, who I referenced earlier, he says, and I quote, repentance is no fun at all. It means that a part of you has to die. But I am convinced, your pastors are convinced, we as a church community are convinced that a word like repentance is not a four-letter word. It's not a dirty word. It is a beautiful word because it's a means to an end. It means you get to take off that heavy backpack full of rocks that you're carrying around and experience the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven. Amen? Repentance is not a dirty word. It's a joyful word. It's not to rub your nose in something, but to allow you to experience the grace and the forgiveness and the joy that comes from Christ Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. Nothing will steal your joy as quickly or efficiently as unrepented of sin. When you hold on to sin as a joy killer, but Christ has come to give us his grace By the way, it's not just that he came to be a good example. He did come to be a good example, but it's got to be so much more than that. Because if all that Christ did was come to be a good example, that's bad news. Amen? How many of you are like, oh, wow, Christ lived perfect and sinless? Sweet, I'm going to try that starting tomorrow. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. The third way that we miss on joy that God has for us is this misplaced expectations misplaced expectations. Now this is true in a general sense. How many of you have ever like planned an event or a party or a family get together and you had all these expectations and ideas of how it was going to go and then things didn't go how you planned? How many of you planned a trip to the grocery store and things didn't go how you planned and expected, right? What is usually your reaction in that moment? Frustration, anger, not a lot of joy, right? So I mean, not to keep, you know, picking on the Star Wars thing. I think a lot of people hate the Star Wars movie because their joy, their expectation was just off the charts. This is going to be the movie that finally is the best movie of all time. Like nothing can bear that much weight. That's true in a general sense, but how much more true is it with Jesus? 
expectations about Jesus. Did you know that people like these shepherds would have had all sorts of expectations for the Messiah? This word Messiah, it means the anointed king. It means the the one who is sent by God. We also use the word Christ. Messiah and Christ are the same word. One is Hebrew, one is Greek, Old Testament, New Testament. It just means the anointed king, God's anointed king. And there was all sorts of expectations about the Messiah. Did you notice what it said in verse one? It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Uh, What empire does the Caesar rule over? Rome, exactly. Good job. History lesson passed. The Romans had conquered over Israel and the Israelites did not like it. There is a remote, distant Caesar who rules with an iron fist. You guys have heard of the the Pax Romana, peace. And if you don't like it, we kill you. Oh, okay, I'll I'll be peaceful then, I guess. See, they were hoping for a a Messiah to come. They were hoping for somebody who was going to destroy the Romans, kick them out, get rid of the the puppet government that they'd set up. We want a real king who's going to make Israel be great. We want to restore the the nation of Israel to what it once was. Well, Jesus shows up and he starts claiming to be the Messiah. And by the way, it's not the only Messiah. There were lots of people claiming to be the Messiah. In fact, uh, our Jewish friends just finished finished celebrating Hanukkah. People thought that the guy Judah Maccabees, they thought he was the Messiah because he fought and he conquered and he he defeated the Syrians. Great warrior, Judah the Hammer. I mean, come on, his nickname is the Hammer. They wanted a Messiah like that. We want a rescuer like that. Well, Jesus showed up and said, yeah, I'm the Messiah, but I'm going to do things differently. I'm not going to be like the Caesar. I'm not going to lord it over you. In fact, Jesus said things like, I I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And also, I'm not here to kill my enemies. I actually, I'm going to die for my enemies. We can't talk about Christmas without talking about the purpose that Jesus came for, and that was to die. People didn't want that. The disciples didn't want that. Their expectations were different. No, you can't die, but Jesus said, this is what I've, I've come to do. I've come to die. A couple of weeks ago, our, our student ministry, uh, my, my oldest daughters came home and they said, oh, Kyle, he's our deacon in charge of student ministry. Like, he shared something that was, that was really good, and so I'm stealing it, just unapologetically. I asked him during the 8 a.m. service if I could. But he said, yeah, Christmas is joyful, but the fact that we need Christmas at all is sad because it means that our sin needed to be atoned for, and the price was the death of the Son of God. Jesus came to die. That that Mary wrapped him in cloths, but later he would be stripped of his clothes. That Mary laid him in a wooden manger, but later he would be laying down on a wooden Roman cross with his hands and feet nailed so that he could die and so he could rise again for our salvation. What are your expectations of Jesus? By the way, if you are are a guest with us, we'd love to invite you to join us. On Sundays, right now we're going through the Gospel of John, which means every Sunday we're just looking at stories and and claims of Jesus. What did he say he came to do? What did he say about himself? We want to see the Jesus as he shows us himself, not the Jesus that we make up in our minds. Now, that leads me to the fourth way that we miss out on joy. I think the biggest expectation that we have wrongly about Jesus is this. We pursue a life of pain avoidance and in so doing, we miss out on joy. I was was thinking about this. Our culture preaches a message that true joy is found in 
minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. Have as much fun as you can, have as much pleasure as you can and get rid of all the pain and all the hardship as much as you can. And that's where your joy is found. I was reading a few months ago and I came across an article from the Atlantic magazine and the headline made me click on it. I'm I'm paraphrasing it, but it was something to the effect of why rich people in the suburbs are paying tons of money to suffer. Well, that's an interesting headline. I clicked on it and the article was about something called the Tough Mudder Run. Is anyone here familiar with the Tough Mudder? Okay. Uh, The Tough Mudder, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, is a race where you run, which is already bad enough, but it's not just that you're running, it's that you have to go over obstacles and you go through mud and there's monkey bars. And I kid you not, they say one time you're like crawling under live electrical wires. I think at one point they release a pack of wolves to chase you. I'm not entirely sure, but it's this painful, suffering, miserable run. And people are signing up in the droves. You pay about $100 each to participate in this run. The, the author is a woman named uh, Rebecca Scott, and she was doing her dissertation on the psychology of pleasure and pain. And she stumbled across this Tough mutter thing. She's like, what in the world is going on with the Tough mutter?" And she's like, by the way, it's not just Tough mutter. Like, it's exploding in popularity, but there's this Spartan race that's exploding in popularity, and there's this weird cult called CrossFit that people are doing and signing up for. And like, it's just, you know, millions and billions of dollars coming in. Like, what is going on? And she's these people run these, these Tough mutters and they're, they're sweating, and they're exhausted, and they're tired, and they're cold, and they're bleeding. And then they're like hugging and high-fiving and smiling. And she's like, what kind of madness is this? Why are these people suffering so much? And what she said is that she found that most of the people participating in these types of races and Spartan racing and CrossFit are people who work in offices. They sit behind a desk or a computer for eight to 10 hours a day. Everything in their life is comfort and convenience. They've got insoles in their shoes and a comfy padded chair to sit on and a couch to watch their Netflix or Amazon Prime from. And everything in life is just comfort, comfort, comfort. And people are actually craving pain because that's actually how we grow as human beings. She says in this article that we're part of a society that pushes comfort, comfort, comfort. And we're saying that actually that's not necessarily a good thing. We have everything set up to make us so comfortable and that almost numbs the body. Now, if that is true in practical things, how much more so in spiritual things? There's a very Americanized version of Jesus that sometimes you encounter where this Jesus shows up and says, hey, follow me and I'm gonna make everything good and wonderful and warm and happy feeling all the time. You can find this in Christian books. Christian books. You can, you can hear this on so-called Christian radio and TV, this, this promise of following Jesus that's just going to make everything happy and soft and comfortable. Where the reality is that Jesus said things like, hey, if you want to you come after me, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross. It's going to be hard. Jesus said things like, in this life, you should expect trials, but, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Think about even Jesus' life. I mean, he's born here. It's a, it's a moment of joy. It's a moment of peace. But do you know what happens right after Jesus is born? His parents have to flee the country because King Herod wants to kill him. They go and live in Egypt as religious refugees for a period of time. And then when they move back to Nazareth, there's all these rumors. Oh yeah, Mary, she was, she was pregnant, but she was still engaged. Had some crazy story about God was going to give her a, a baby. And they called her 
a harlot, and they called him an illegitimate son. And during his earthly ministry, it's not like he's driving around in an Escalade and taking private jets. He's walking everywhere. He says that foxes have holes and birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. One of his 12 disciples betrayed him with a kiss. The sign of closest love and affection betrayed him with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. On the night of his arrest, his closest friend, Peter, one of his three closest friends, denied him, said, oh, I never knew Jesus. Three times, and you might not remember this, but Jesus heard Peter say those words. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was led outside of the city. He was crucified where he suffered and died. Friends, that's our Messiah. That's our Christ. That's where this Christmas story is heading toward. If, if Jesus himself had hardship in life and we're following in the way of our master, why do we sometimes believe that our joy is going to be found in avoiding all pain and trying to maximize pleasure? The apostle Paul in Philippians 3, he, he suffered greatly for, for following Jesus. He said, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything a loss, my education, my background, my pedigree, money, I've had everything. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and I consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Friends, I've, I've walked with Jesus long enough to know that hard times will come. Difficulties and challenges and pains will come, but there is great joy to be had in knowing Christ and knowing his people on the other side of those hardships. There's, there's great joy to be had even in the middle of those things. How many of you would agree that you've experienced even moments of that where you've seen Christ's joy even in hard times? May we remember that, 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 that Christ doesn't call us to a life of avoiding pain and maximizing pleasure. He calls us to a life of following him and that he promises deep joy in the middle of whatever circumstances we have. When this leads me to the, the fifth and final way that we miss out on, on joy, and it's just simply this, sometimes we forget the end of the story. Sometimes we forget where this story is headed. Okay, Advent means arrival, and this story that had been, had been leading up this whole time to this moment where Christ arrived and he lived a perfect life. He died, but he rose again. Good news, amen, church. And then he said, I'm gonna ascend to my father. I'm gonna be seated at the right hand of God. I'm gonna be praying for you. I'm gonna intercede for you. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to you. And one day I'm going to return. That we are living in the time between the two advents of Christ. That Christ came the first time. We look back on that as a reassurance of the fact that he promised that he would return again. And guess what? When he returns, it will be to complete our joy. The, the various writers of the Bible tell us things like when Christ returns, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. That all of the sorrow we've known and the sadness we've known and the sickness and disease and war and fighting and racism and all of these things that we've known, they're going to be done away with forever. Sound City, do you long for that day? Do you remember that that day is coming? That there is a day of great joy that awaits us. And even when things get hard and even when things get difficult right now, we have a day of great joy that is coming. I long for that day. I, I pray for that day. There's, there's a collection of these old prayers from the Puritans, a group of, of people who are just uh, pursuing Jesus. And they wrote down these prayers. And I wanted to read one of these to you because it just stirred my heart in such a way to long for not just the first advent of Jesus, 
Christmas, but the return of Jesus says this, there, are, there is no joy like the joy of heaven. For in that state are no sad divisions, unchristian quarrels. You guys know that Christians sometimes fight with each other? I mean, not in our church, but I've heard of it happening in other churches, right? Unchristian quarrels, no more contentions, no more evil designs, weariness, hunger. How many of you have a burden for the poor and you want to see people's needs taken care of? Well, when Christ returns, poverty and hunger are done away with. Cold, sadness, sin, suffering, persecutions, toils of duty, even your job will be redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, healthful place where none are sick. How many of you long for that day? We have two members in our church community fighting against brain cancer right now. And others who are sick and suffering in many other ways. I long for the return of Jesus to see cancer be done away with once and for all. Amen? Oh, healthful place where none are sick. Oh, happy land where all are kings. Oh, holy assembly where all are priests. How free a state where none are servants except to thee. Bring me speedily to the land of joy. Friends, as we celebrate tomorrow morning, as we unwrap the presents, as we unwrap the gifts, and we gather with friends or with family or children or whatever you're doing to celebrate Christmas tomorrow, may you remember that Christ came to bring you joy and that your joy is not based on temporary fleeting things that are here today and gone tomorrow, but your joy is based in him and his grace and his promised return. And even when things get difficult here and now, we can still experience his joy. Friends, will you pray with me? God, I ask that you would let a heart and a spirit of joy well up within us even right now. God, I ask and I pray that you would forgive us, that we would have a heart of repentance for those times when we try to find our joy in other places and other things beside you. God, would you remind us even in the middle of hardships and, and difficult times, God, that you are preparing us for an eternity of joy. And may our focus be on you, King Jesus, and your grace and your mercy as our Savior. And as we turn our hearts now to a time of response and worship, I pray that our hearts would be filled with your joy, that we would respond to you joyfully with the joy that you yourself give us, Lord God. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Friends, we're gonna respond now to Jesus and we're gonna do so uh, in a few ways. The first way we're gonna, uh, we're gonna respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And so they're gonna begin collecting the offering from the back of the room. If you're a guest or a visitor, please know there's no uh, arm twisting or guilt or obligation to give. We simply wanna invite all who call on the name of Jesus to give. If you wanna participate in the work of the mission at Sound City Bible Church, if you've been thinking about making a year-end contribution, that'd be uh, welcome because we're wanting to finish our calendar year strong and in a healthy financial place. While they're doing this, let me give you a little bit of an update on something we've been doing here for the last month. We've been doing these giving trees. And we set up two different trees out in the lobby and they had tags and you would take a tag and you'd come back with gift cards 
And uh, the first tree was to benefit the Office of Children's Administration for uh, Linwood, the Linwood CPS office. Uh, My family, many of you know, and and many families in the church are involved in foster care. And so what these cards do, these gift cards go to children who are coming into the system who need clothes or necessities. And I was thinking, man, it'd be great if we could get like $2,000 worth of gift cards for for the Linwood CPS office. I am happy to report that you generosity piranhas gave $3,400 worth of gift cards just for the Linwood CPS office. So praise God for that. The second organization that we were supporting, we, we've supported them for a number of years. Uh, it's the Vision House in Shoreline. It's a transitional living home to care for people who are coming out of homelessness. Again, these gift cards were going to uh, these families to help them buy presents for their kids and to help them just, again, getting, getting on their feet. You guys took it one step further and gave more than $3,800 worth of gift cards to that, bringing it to a total of over $7,200. You guys are amazing. Praise God for you and your generosity. I'm thankful for your heart because I announced these giving trees like a month ago and I took off. I had no idea how it was going. I've been gone these last few weeks. I couldn't see the trees. I didn't know if there were any ornaments left or how it was going. And I got to come back in the office this week and and Michael and the others let me know about this. So praise God for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I'm praying that God would increase our hearts of generosity so that we as a church can do more in this next year uh, to see the gospel go forward in the North Puget Sound region. They're going to be handing out the elements for communion. You guys are welcome to go ahead and pass out these elements for communion. I'll invite our musicians to come too as we prepare for a time of singing and responding to Jesus. This is uh, a time of celebration for Christians. If you're here and you're a Christian, even if you're a visitor from another church, you're welcome to join us. If you're not a believer in Jesus, today would be a day that we would invite you to place your faith in Jesus and, and trust in him and respond at this table as a member of the family. And and I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 to remind us of what it is that we're celebrating here. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says this, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So friends, today by celebrating communion on Christmas Eve, we are reminding ourselves and we're proclaiming to the world that Christmas is about Jesus coming to die and to rise again for our salvation. There's an invitation to reflect too. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So friends, this is an invitation, an opportunity to ask yourself and to ask God to search your heart. Where have I been looking for joy in wrong places? Where have I been you know, wrong in my expectations? Where have I sought a life of pain avoidance and pleasure maximization instead of seeking my joy in Jesus Christ? And so I invite you to take a moment. We'll, we'll hold quietly. The musicians are going to kind of play and we'll, we'll pray together. And, and, and if you're with your family and you want to pray together, a community group, you're welcome to do that. 
And then in a moment, they'll invite us to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to sing the first song, Joy to the World, which Pete, I'm really sorry about what I did to you in the last service. I asked Pete, I said, Pete, did you know that Joy to the World was not written about the birth of Jesus, the first advent, but it's actually written about the second advent, his return? I was like, did you know? And he was like, and he did not. And so I, had, I caught him, and I'm very deeply sorry. I'm not sorry, actually, at all. But it was, it, it's a reminder for us that this song that we sing at Christmas time about the, the, the birth of Jesus is actually about the return of Jesus. And so as we sing and as we celebrate the Lord's table, let's remember that he has joy for us in not only looking back on his first advent, but looking forward to his second advent. I'm going to pray, and I'll invite you to, to eat and to